All right, so we're in the middle of a series called Issues, which means we're talking about our issues, okay? This is the second sermon in the series, and the one we're going to be talking about today is something that we deal with a lot. It's something that we experience all the time. You're like, what is this thing that I'm experiencing all the time? Is it like hunger? No, it's not hunger. It's anger. Anger. <laughs> we got some, oh, oh no. <laughs> some of y'all are angry, it sounds like. So, we, um, so anger is something that we experience a lot on a weekly basis, on a daily basis. It's something that um, is easy for us to, to happen to us. It's, it, it feels like it's easy for us to get angry a lot of the times, right? Like exhibit A, wreck sports leagues, right? It's supposed to be something that's fun and chill, right? And so one of your friends is like, hey, let's spend $40 and play in a rec basketball league because rec is short for recreation, which means it's easy and fun and there's nothing on the line. So you can have a great time. And it is all fun and games until somebody gets punched, okay? And then it's not fun and games anymore. Maybe that's a slight exaggeration, okay? <laughs> I was in a rec sports league earlier this year with some guys from church and basketball and nobody got punched, but every single game somebody was bleeding afterwards, okay? <laughs> rec sports leagues. Number two, exhibit B, the collective testimony of customer service people across America, okay? <laughs> customer service people across America, I mean, if you've ever worked at a Starbucks during the morning rush hour commute, you have experienced the wrath of humanity just when the milk is wrong, okay? It's like, if you're a Comcast representative, those guys, oh my gosh, like they should be forced to get a degree in counseling because they experience the wrath of humanity. Granted, some of that's because Comcast is, is a little silly, but, uh, but customer service people know this beyond a shadow of a doubt, right? Um, and road rage is a thing because it's a thing. When you're on the road, for some reason, I, I wish I had time to read like a bunch of studies about road rage. Why is road rage happen? Why, when you get behind a car, do people freak out, right? I, last weekend, I was driving, and my wife and I, I'm, I'm driving. I'm the one driving, okay? We pull up to this, uh, to this light, and I, I, I'm at a full, complete stop, like the law-abiding citizen that I am, okay? And I stop at the red light, plenty of space, and uh, this guy starts to cross, and, and my wife goes, hey, babe, that guy's flipping you the bird. And I was like, what, why? And she was like, I don't know. <laughs> it, honestly, it seemed like just reactionary. It seemed like, oh, I'm in a crosswalk, gotta flip somebody the bird, because of road rage. It was kind of hilarious and also mildly baffling. But, um, and then the last one is this, right? us. We see and experience anger in ourselves a lot. And, you know, if you Google anger, because it's like, what is anger? You know, if you Google anger, the word annoyance is in the definition. And if, if anger is like blue moon beer, then annoyance is like Bud Light, right? <laughs> annoyance is kind of like less intense anger. And we're going to talk about that that actually a little bit more in a bit. And you know, sometimes we recognize that our anger is wrong. Sometimes we're like, man, shouldn't have done that. But other times it's like, no, they deserve that. I needed to free the lion. Like that needed to happen. I needed to rage on this person. And it can be confusing sometimes, right? Because sometimes we feel conviction. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. And other times it's like, no, nah, this is justice, you know? Um, and, and it's confusing. And so we need to kind of ask ourselves this question, what do we do with our anger? What do we do with it? Because we feel it a lot. And it's a powerful emotion. So what do we do with it? You know, in Psalm 37, because again, this series is how the Psalms speak to the issues of our hearts. 
Psalm 37 is going to address that for us today. So we're going to be in Psalm 37, 1 through 11. Um, So if you want to join with me, we're going to do that. It's going to be in the CSB version. Okay, here it is. Psalm 37, 1 through 11. Do not be agitated by evildoers. Do not envy those who do wrong. For they wither quickly like grass and wilt like tender green plants. Trust in the Lord and do what is good. Dwell in the land and live securely. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust him, and he will act, making your righteousness shine like the dawn, your justice like the noonday. Be silent before the Lord and wait expectantly for him. Do not be agitated by one who prospers in his way, but by the person who carries out evil plans. Refrain from anger and give up your rage. Do not be agitated. It can only bring harm. For evildoers will be destroyed, but those who put their hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while, and the wicked person will be no more. Though you look for him, he will not be there. But the humble will inherit the land and will enjoy abundant prosperity. This is Psalm 37, 1 through 11. And now look, before we dig into this, we kind of got to think and ask ourselves, what even is anger? (laughs) Before we can understand what the psalmist is trying to say here, we need to ask ourselves, what is it? We kind of, it's one of these words that we use all the time, and we kind of walk in the assumption that we understand it. I asked some people Friday night, hey, define anger. And they literally just looked at me like, uh, uh, I, uh, I, I don't, can I Google it? Like, they just had no idea. And I feel like that's probably how most of us, like, if, if we defined anger, we probably wouldn't be able to put, like, a really clear definition to it. And it's important, right? I mean, how do we even move forward if we don't even know what it is? So there's a book that I read through this week. It's by a guy named Robert Jones. I uh, recommend it to you. It's called Uprooting Anger. And so his definition is what I'm about to jump into here. And his definition is similar to a lot of other people's definitions that have kind of studied this, this topic. So here's Robert Jones's definition. Our anger is our whole personed active response of negative moral judgment against perceived evil. So some are like, what? Okay. So here's what he means, right? This is what this is kind of like the, the layman's terms of this. Our anger is like a response that we have when we judge something as, as morally wrong. When we judge something and see something as evil, whether it's against us or against somebody else, anger is the response when we when we see that and judge something that way. Okay, a negative uh, judgment against a moral evil. That's when we get angry. Now, granted, it could be just like an annoyance or it could be like a real explosive anger. And so, in this, but this is why Psalm 37 is helpful. This is why Psalm 37, 1 through 11 is helpful because David is experiencing, David's the writer of this psalm, David is experiencing injustice. And then he talks about the response. In the midst of that, look at verses 8 through 10. Look at uh, what it says here in this what is anger. Um, Refrain from anger, da 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 da, for evildoers will be destroyed. You're angry right now, David's saying? Evildoers will be destroyed. Don't let that be it. The injustice that you're feeling, don't let that make you angry, right? So this is why this psalm is helpful because it's David's in the middle of experiencing an evil. He's in the middle of experiencing something that would incite him or us to anger. When we experience stuff that's wrong like that, okay? So that's what anger is. It's a, it's a whole person response against something that we judge as wrong. 
something that we're judging as evil, whether against us or other folks, right? Okay, so, um, so then, now that we have kind of an understanding, okay, this is what anger is, now we jump into how should we approach our anger? How should we, as we're walking up to our anger, looking at it from the outside, what should we, how should we approach it? So here, I mean, he gets right to it. Look at verse 8. Refrain from anger and give up your rage. Do not be agitated. It can only bring harm. Now, look, it's true, it's true that there's different categories of anger, okay? It's true that, like, for example, God's anger, we read in the Bible about when God's righteous anger and his righteous judgment, okay? That's obviously not wrong. God cannot do wrong. He's only good. Only light is found in him. God's anger. We also have justified human anger, Okay, and then we have unjustified human anger. But what's interesting about Psalm 37 is David's just like, yo, refrain. Don't do it. And the reason that he speaks in this generality is because the vast majority of the anger that we experience and do is wrong. Look, in order to have just anger, in order to have just anger, the first thing that needs to happen is you need to perfectly judge the situation. So the first thing that needs to happen is, oh, something's happened to me or this other person. I, you have to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, every detail, perfectly judge, this is wrong, okay? Lots of times we can't do that because we don't know everything, okay? And, and, our, and our, our, our hearts get in the way when something happens to us. We get emotional, and it's, it's, sometimes it's hard to judge that. But let's just say you nail that. Let's just say you've perfectly figured out the situation, you've judged it, it's wrong, okay? Then, if you get that, the next thing that you have to do is respond in perfect Godliness. How often are you able to do that? Not often, because I mean, the very word anger stirs up for us images of just like intense yelling and rage, right? Not godliness. And it's true, you could check both of those boxes. You're perfectly right on how you judge this, and you're perfectly godly in your response. But guess what? <laughs> the vast majority of the time, that's not the situation, okay? This is why David says, refrain from your anger. And remember, he's in the middle of experiencing injustice. This is why he can speak in this generality. And you know, but here's the thing. Understanding this, looking at the way he speaks about this with the generality is actually helpful for us. Because it allows us when we approach our anger, we can be like, okay, David and other places like James 1 that says, be slow to anger for man's anger does not produce the righteousness of God. James uses a generality there too. These things are helpful for us because when we get angry, we can be like, okay, there's, there's probably, this is probably not right. Even though I don't see how, it, how it's not right, I can't possibly imagine how I'm wrong here. <laughs> um, it's, there's something that I need to check according to the word of God. I need to examine myself here. That's, this is why this statement of generality is really helpful from us, for us from David. But, you know, the culture that we live in is so different. The cultural narrative is not this. The cultural narrative is don't get angry, refrain from anger. I saw a celebrity tweet the other day, and the guy was like, the guy was like hey, if your kid punks my kid at school, I've taught my kid how to punch your kid in the face. Like, that was his tweet, and it was just like, he just like tweeted it out to the world, just so you know, my kid knows how to punch your kid in the face. It's kind of, that's like, a lot of us probably heard that from probably our dad, right, not our mom. Um, that's kind of like what the world tells us to do. We, see, we probably see anger a lot in the workplace, probably seen bosses come off the hinge, 
probably seen coworkers come off the hinge. I know I can think of a lot of times where I've seen that. That's one of the common places that we observe it. And it almost feels like the culture reinforces that. Hey, you mess up, people are going to let you have it. And you know what? You deserve it. This is like the culture that we find ourselves immersed in, not what David encourages us. Refrain from anger. Give up your wrath. Okay? How should we approach our anger? Refraining. Um, and, but you know what? Like, let's go back, actually, to verse 8. Just, no, don't just refrain from anger. Look what he says at the end. It can only bring harm. In the, all the other English translations that I read um, translate this a little harsher than the way the CSB does right here. The other English translations say it can only bring evil. One translation said it can only bring evil doing. In other words, your anger is going to lead you to do evil things. And David says that here. And, but here's the thing. Like, who amongst us is going to doubt this? Like, when you think about your life, and you think about, like, the most painful moments of your life, do you not have memories of somebody just ripping into you? Do you not have memories of a time when somebody just screamed at you? Because I can tell you what, right now, we could stop this sermon and I could just invite y'all up one by one, and everyone could come up and stand here and share a time when somebody screamed at them. You look back at that as something that benefited you. Maybe they tried to tell you in the moment, hey, this is for your own good. But do you look back on that with joy? Did it enhance your situation? When, when David says it can only bring evil doing, we all can probably testify to painful moments in our lives where we've been on the receiving end of anger, without a doubt, right? We've all seen this to be true, the way that it leads to evil doing. And, but again, we all get angry all the time. So I think the text is inviting us to think about the times when maybe we got angry and then re-examine, did we hurt people in those moments? Was that time that I got mad at that person at work? How did they actually experience that? Should I have refrained from that? The time when my kid did something that I didn't want them to do, and I responded this way, I wonder how that made them feel. I think the text is inviting us to ask ourselves these questions. Um, how should we approach our anger? Here's how James 4 says it. Um, with understanding that it often comes from wrong desires. Our anger, James 4 says, comes from wrong desires. Look at what he says. What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. James is saying that a lot of times this is coming from desires, often that go unfulfilled that we have. That is one of the things that causes us to be angry. And again, it's, lots of times it's just selfish desires. Right? If you think about annoyance, how often we feel that, how, how it's kind of like the bud light of anger, um, we feel, and sometimes we don't even know why we get angry, why we even get annoyed. See, sometimes people come up to us and they're just like, Hey, you doing okay? Why are you, why are you so mad? What's wrong? Why are you so angry? And we're just like, I don't know, you know, like those times where you don't know. James is saying, examine your desires. Examine what you wanted. 
And did you not get something that you want? Examine it. What kind of desire is that? Is that a godly desire? And David's actually going to talk more about our desires. But how should we approach our anger? Refrain. David comes right out and says this. James says, with understanding that it's probably coming from desires that are going unfulfilled in us. And that's going to help us, like especially in circumstances where we don't know why we're angry. It's going to help us to kind of see, help us to understand what's going on with us. So what recurring um, anger in your life, even annoyance, somebody, something that you experience during the week, are you thinking of right now? Where do you experience anger a lot? Towards who do you experience anger a lot? This is... Uh, the Bible calls us not to just be hearers of the word, but to be doers. And in order to do what David is saying, we have to see where this is happening. Because guess what? Every single one of us gets angry or annoyed. Every single one of us. And like David says, it's probably not godly. Is it possible? Yeah. But it's probably not. It's probably not. So, how should we approach our anger? Refrain. With the understanding that it comes from desires that are going on in our hearts. Here's the next question. What do we do instead? <laughs> what do we do instead of respond in anger? In line with James in the desires, look at what the psalmist, look at what David says in verse 4. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Look at the order here. Take delight in God, then he will give you your heart's desires. First, delight in God. Then your heart's desires get satiated. The reason is, is because when we delight in God, our desires change. When we expose ourselves to the truth of who God is, what we want changes. What we want changes. And maybe you're like, that's kind of abstract though, like delighting in God. Because we, we need to ask ourselves, when I think about God, is delight a word that describes that? When I think about the God of my life, do I delight in him? I guess as some of us are kind of like, ah, I don't know if that's the word. But this can, this can kind of be a hard thing to understand. So it can be abstract, right? So when, but when we think about delight, think about the things that do delight you. Okay, maybe it's a kid. Maybe it's your child. I know I, with my new little guy, he's two months old. I mean, I could stare at that guy for hours, like deep into the night, just staring at him. <laughs> yeah, you can laugh at that. That's probably the creepiest thing I've done all month. <laughs> um, but he delights my soul. Maybe it's another relationship you have, a friend, a parent. Maybe it's like nature. Think about the things that do delight you. And then, like for example, take nature. So nature, maybe some of y'all moved to Denver from like a big city didn't get much nature exposure. But now you're here in nature, you're like, you know, I'm, I'm I think I'm down with nature. Um, uh, I think I'm down with nature because you know, we're talking about delight here. If we're talking about how, how do we delight in something, the way that we delight in something is by knowing, and ex and like knowing the truth about what that thing is. What is this thing actually? Experiencing it for what it actually is and then spending time with it. That's how we grow in delight in something. What is it actually experiencing for what it truly is and then spending time with it? So some of us maybe have come to Denver being like, nature, yeah, everyone's pumped on it. You know, I, I, I think nature is going to be chill, but I also feel like nature is just like dirt and bugs. <laughs> and like I'm down with nature, but like I just don't want to get the nature on me. You know what I mean? 
Like, I, do, I just don't want that. But then if we, if, then if we a, as we begin to explore nature, we realize that it's, oh, it's not just dirt and bugs. Oh, no, no, no. It's way more than that. Nature is four feet of powder as you shred down the Rockies. Nature is laying out under the stars with no light pollution and tracing the outline of the Milky Way. Nature is on a hike and overcome by the smell of the pine. Nature is stumbling across a herd of elk and listening to them call to each other. And as you begin to experience, oh, this is truly nature. I see. It's not just dirt and bugs. This is truly what nature is. You're spending time with it. You learn to delight. And it's the same with God. The way that we delight in God is by seeing and experiencing who he truly is. And by spending time with him. That's how we delight in God. So when David says, delight, take delight in the Lord and he will satisfy the desires of your heart. That's how we delight in him. By knowing what he, and you know what, this, as he changes our wants, as we delight ourselves in him, that leads us away from anger. That's the point. What do we do instead of get angry? We delight ourselves in God and that changes us. It changes what we want. It changes what we want. Um, here's the next one. Uh, what do we do instead of respond in anger? The next one is show patience. Look at verse, uh, look at verse seven. Be silent before the Lord and wait expectantly for him. Do not be agitated. This is a beautiful kind of word picture of patience. Where, and remember, David's in the middle of experiencing injustice. He's in the middle of evildoers eviling him. Okay? Something that should trigger anger in us, normally does, right? But David says, no, be, David says, be silent before the Lord and wait expectantly for him. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit that we experience now under the New Covenant, right? You know those fruits of the Spirit that Paul talks about in Galatians 5? The things that we see in our life as the Holy Spirit changes us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, da, 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 all of those. The fruit of the Spirit. In the midst of anger, David is showing us a picture of patience. Showing us a picture of patience instead of anger. Um, I, the other, so I live in an apartment, and it's kind of on this intersection and we're on the second floor. And it's one of those intersections where one side's got a stop sign and the other side doesn't. And there's no lines on the, on the road or anything. So people are literally always getting in accidents there. Like, I, I can't even count them. I always hear, right, all the time. And one time, I heard it, and a big crunch. And I ran out onto the balcony, phone at the ready like a good millennial, you know. <laughs> and... Uh, and this woman had blown the, 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 her stop sign and hit this really nice Mercedes, like T-boned him. It wasn't like horrible. It was, it was on the passenger side, so everybody was fine. And, but just boom, crunch. I mean, it was an expensive car, yo. Like at least $80,000. And I'm watching this like, oh, man, totally judging the guy before he gets even out of the car. This guy's going to be mad. And uh, she gets out, and then he gets out, really nice suit. And she's like, I'm so sorry. And the guy gets out, big nice suit, doesn't even say anything. Just walks up, opens up his arms, and wraps her up. And I was like, <laughs> I didn't clap. I wish I should have freaking clapped. Um, but he, I mean, he just was like, hey, it's okay. It's all right. I was so shocked. Because that never happened. I've seen so, I don't know why, I've seen way more car accidents in my life than probably a normal person. And I have never seen that, yo. 
Like I have never seen a guy's probably, I mean, he probably totaled the car. It was a huge, like it looked like the Hulk had just like smashed it. And he just gets up so chill, just patient, just gets up and wraps her up. And I was like, whoa, I got to invite this guy to church or something, you know? <laughs> it was amazing. It really was. He showed patience rather than anger. He showed patience rather than anger. Uh, so what do we do instead of responding to anger? Delight in the Lord. Show patience. Here's the last one um, that comes in verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do what is good. We've got to remember the context here. David is experiencing evil. He's experiencing injustice. And he says, trust in the Lord and do what is good. So, and you know, this reminds us, like this car accident, I mean, it reminds us sometimes people wrong us. Like, we really do have evil done to us. And it can, uh, criminal stuff, like, it could be horrible at times, right? This is a real thing, the injustice in life that we experience. And David is saying, trust in God in those moments. God is the one who delivers justice. That burden is not on you, it's on God. But don't just sit on your laurels while you trust in God. Do good. Trust God and do good. This is what David says. And we're reminded of all these steep injustices in the world. Like we think about like the great civil rights and peace movements that we've witnessed. Dr. King, okay? Um, Bishop Desmond Tutu, those two guys in particular are people that fierce Christians that trusted the Lord while doing good. Not just sitting around trusting God, waiting for him to do something. They're obeying God and trusting that he is going to work it out so they don't have to respond in anger, but also doing good. Think about the car guy. The car guy could have gotten smashed and then just chilled there and been like, okay, not going to get angry. Just going to sit here, wait for the cops, do a police report. Or I could have gotten up and just been like, thank you. Here's my insurance. And just gone over here and like stood like, you know, with his back to her. But that's not what he does. He goes up and wraps her up and encourages her, shows all the fruit of the Spirit, like it builds her back up, even though she's probably feeling really guilty, really mad with herself. He's doing good. He's not just waiting on God, okay? And those great civil rights era leaders did the same. And, you know, this reminds us, this reminds us how all Christians are not going to experience equal injustice. It's not going to be even the evil that we taste in the world. Those of our brothers and sisters that are racial minorities, it's not going to be even. There's Christians around the world that are being persecuted. Maybe you've gotten a little bit of that here in the States, maybe, but not much. You're free to come here on Sunday. There's going to be a lot of Christians this year who die for their faith. The injustice, this is the reality that we're talking about when we're talking, when David's encouraging us to trust in God in the midst of evil and do what is good. The reality is our different brothers and sisters are going to experience this differently. And you know what? That should humble us. That should humble us as we see that. And it should move us to do good while trusting in God as the judge. Because we do not have that burden. That's God's. And you know what? Maybe... God wants to do a work of repentance in those that wrong us. You know, kind of like how he did with us. Maybe he wants to do that with them, which is why we trust God for justice. 
Vengeance is his. And we wait patiently before him, trusting him and doing what is good. Trusting him and doing what is good. And, but let's not forget. Let's not forget God's justice. Let's not forget God's justice on us. The anger of God that we didn't receive. Even though we stand condemned before God, rebelling against him, committing evil, even though none of us want to admit how far that goes, did we receive God's anger? Are we children of God's wrath if you are in Christ? Because remember, he was justified to do that, and he didn't. This is our reality. Our reality is we didn't taste God's anger. This is why anger is literally an anti-gospel witness. Because we're not children of anger. We're children of peace. We're not children of wrath. We received God's love. And the Lord Jesus took that wrath upon himself. That's our heritage. The leader of the church, Jesus, they call him the Prince of Peace. Which is why anger is an opposite witness of that. We didn't receive that. Which is why David speaks about anger this way. Which is why James speaks about anger this way. Because it's not a gospel witness. It's not what we received. And thank God that that's what he decided to do. Because that's who he is. That's who he is. We're not children of wrath, but children of love. So what do we do instead of respond in anger? We delight ourselves in God. We show patience in the other fruit of the Spirit, like the guy in the car. We trust God with justice and do what is good in the midst of that. But look, this is <laughs> easy, right? Check. <laughs> not. This is incredibly difficult. This is why we experience anger and annoyance all the time. Because our hearts respond emotionally to what happens to us. Our hearts respond to deep and powerful emotion. And we respond sinfully. We respond not with the fruit of the Spirit. We judge situations incorrectly. It's incredibly hard. So what should we do when we get angry? Because y'all know. That just because we are sitting in this sermon right now doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Even this week, even today. So, what should we do when we get angry? Uh, as I was studying for this, I came across, sorry, a lot of Bible, and I just came across this verse and loved it so much. I was like, I'm including this. I don't care if it like fits or whatever. I just love it. So anyway, it's from Jonah. The book of Jonah, Jonah was a Hebrew prophet. In the context of Jonah is God says to him, hey, Nineveh, I'm going to judge them. Their evil has come up before me. And I want you to go to them and tell them to repent because I am going to judge them. Now, side note, the Ninevites were Assyrians. And the Assyrians are the first people that God uses to judge Israel when they abandon him. And so, the, I mean, the Israelites and the Assyrians, are, they're at war. They hate each other. And Jonah hates the Assyrians. So when God tells him, go and preach to them, tell them to repent, Jonah literally just ignores him, takes off. And then we all know the story. He takes off, gets on a boat, running from God, which, by the way, never works, just in case you didn't know. Um, he's running from God. He gets on the boat, and this God hurls this tempest at him. The, all the sailors are afraid they're going to die. They're like, what's going wrong? Jonah's like, it's my fault. 
I'm running from God. <laughs> I mean, it's literally, it's really funny. And he's like, and they're like, what do we do? He's like, you got to throw me overboard. <laughs> it's like, so it's crazy. And then they're like, well, okay. And they toss him overboard. And then the giant whale, the giant fish swallows Jonah, right? We all know that part of the story. Jonah repents towards God and says, okay, in the belly of the whale, sings a song, Ralphs him up on the beach, goes to Nineveh. Okay, that's what happens. Then Jonah walks into the city. I think he says like 10 words, at least that's what the narrative says. And then they repent. Like it's like a city, like it's an enormous city. And it, the narrative says that, they, that Jonah goes in there, he preaches, and then they repent. And then this is what happens. Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. He prayed to the Lord, please, Lord, isn't this what I thought while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. <laughs> what a drama king. This freaking guy, dude. It's, this book is totally insane. And look at, I mean, he's mad at the love of God. He's mad about the fact that God is relenting from judgment on the Assyrians. And, you know, it's because Jonah, their people were at war with them. And look at what God says. I love this. Look at what God says. The Lord asked, is it right for you to be angry? Look at how gentle he is with Jonah. God just saved 100,000 people, deserves to be worshipped and bowed down to and declared as glorious. Instead, Jonah just gets livid. And then God says, hey, is it right for you to be angry? So awesome. So beautiful. What do we do Instead of respond, what do we do when we get angry? We question our anger. This is what God himself, Yahweh, the God of the Bible, this is what he shows us. Question your anger in the middle of it. Because it's probably not of him. It's probably coming from a place of just wrong desires, confusion and emotion and not responding in a godly way. So question it. Question it. And again, maybe God wants to bring reconciliation in the midst of us experiencing evil. Maybe he wants to bring repentance. What should we do when we do get angry? Here's the last thing that, uh, that David says at the last, the last verse. Verse 11. The humble will inherit the land and will enjoy abundant prosperity. David reminds us he's experiencing injustice. He's experiencing injustice, tempted to be angry. Of things that are happening in his life, he's tempted to be mad. But he encourages us to be humble while we're angry. What, what does humility in the midst of anger look like? I'll tell you what it looks like after you've questioned your anger, you know, yeah. Even though this person did a worse thing than me, which might even not be true, but let's just say that's true. Even if this person did a worse thing than me, I'm probably not completely blameless here. This anger is annoyance. It's probably not of God. And so humility 
confesses that. Humility confesses to God and to the person that we're getting angry with. Hey, even if they did worse, that doesn't matter. It does matter. It does matter. But you're still called to obedience. The God of the Bible is still calling you to act with humility when you do get angry. And to confess it, parents, if we can't show our kids this, who's going to show them? If we, can't show, if we get angry at children and we can't confess to them, hey, dad got mad. This was dad's fault. It's not your fault. Sometimes dad does the wrong thing. I'm sorry that it hurt you as much as it did, but if we can't do that, who's going to show them? Who's going to show them the way that we were delivered from anger? The truth of the gospel. And you're at work? Maybe somebody, maybe you came off the handle at somebody six months ago. It's a long time ago. And you think, well, that's just done. This is not what humility does. Humility remembers the wrong, goes back and confesses and repents. Owns it. James calls us not just to be hearers of the word, but doers. This week, this week, who do you need to confess to? Where were you wrong in your anger? Because it was probably every single time. Who do you keep getting annoyed with? And even if they are doing something that they shouldn't be doing, who do you need to confess your angry response to and turn and reflect the gospel of peace? This week. Who is it? That's what the gospel calls us into. What should we do when we do get angry? Question our anger the way God shows us. Is it right for you to be angry, Jonah? Is it right? So gentle. So beautiful. Question our anger and exercise humility when we do get angry. Confess and turn and be changed as you delight in the Lord. In conclusion, what do we do with our anger? Remember that original question? We've seen it all over the place. Rec sports leagues, customer service. Seen it all over the place. What should we do with our anger? Refrain, because it's probably not God-honoring. Look with the understanding that my desires are probably at play here. There's something probably that I want, maybe a selfishness that's not getting, that's not happening, and examine with that. Instead, delight in the Lord. Show patience and the other fruit of the Spirit and the guy in the Mercedes. Trust God and do good. Trust God for justice because he's the perfect judge and you don't even want that burden. Believe me, you don't want that burden. And Thank God that he's taken it from us. Trust God and do good. Question our anger and then when we do get angry, exercise humility. When we take communion, we remember the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus who took on the wrath of God for our sake. The God of peace. But Jonah screams out in anger towards Yahweh, towards the Father, is true. And it's true about Jesus. And we take communion, we remember him. The one who delivered us from the wrath of God. The just wrath of God. As sinners, we remember Jesus and who he is and what he did. That's what we do when we take communion. Please pray with me.
God, you are so wonderful. God, thank you for the way that you led your servant David to speak about injustice when it happens to them. God, a situation which usually tempts us to anger. Usually tempts us to anger, God. Thank you for the words of your servant David. The way he leads us into patience. The way he leads us to delight in you, which changes our desires. God, we confess to you our wicked anger. We confess to you that we have not reflected you the way that we should have. God, we've gotten annoyed. We've been short-tempered. We've come off the handle. And God, we're sorry. and We acknowledge that before you. Thank you, God, that you died knowing we would do that. Lord Jesus, thank you for willingly going to the cross, knowing that we would not reflect you the way that we should. We love you, and we pray for your help. We ask for your help. This week, God, help us to go and confess and repent and exercise humility and questioning our anger every time it comes up. Teach us, Lord Jesus. Teach us to question our anger and to delight ourselves in you. You are so good, so wonderful. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.